Before we get started, I just wanted to let everyone know today we are going to touch on a few topics of abuse, drug abuse, and some sensitive subjects. If you're with younger kids, this might not be the best story for them. Or if you yourself have experienced some form of abuse, this could be triggering or difficult to listen to. We believe that sometimes with stories, we have to wade through the pain in order to see the full redemptive power we believe in. And with that, here's Sarah. My name is Sarah. I was 13 years old the first time someone introduced me to cocaine. Are we in the apocalypse? Maybe that's a question you've heard family members, coworkers, or friends ask from behind masked faces or video chat windows. As we face a global pandemic, racial tensions, and a fractured political climate, this feels like an apocalyptic time. These issues can divide us and put immense stress on our everyday lives. Whether it's brutality towards people of color captured on cell phone videos, partisan corruption, or seemingly continuous news of natural disasters, we are almost becoming desensitized to the tragedies that we witness. The word apocalypse comes from a Greek word that means an unveiling or unfolding of things not previously known, and which could not be known apart from the unveiling. This word has been co-opted to describe what some would call the end times, but the book of Daniel uses the apocalyptic style to catalog a time in biblical history when Daniel is used by God to allow an ancient people living in a powerful empire to see truth of the world as God sees it. It's powerful. Its purpose is to open the eyes of God's people. In a time when we're all wearing masks, how many of us have eyes to see the world the way that God does? Throughout the journey through Daniel, we will experience stories of people from our own church community as they share their experiences of apocalypse and awakening and discover that even when all hope seems lost, God is at work creating something beautiful. If you're triggered or you feel emotions welling up within you as you hear Sarah's story, know that this is normal. This is what it is to empathize. You may be angry or sad or frustrated. This is what it is to be human and share stories with each other. Maybe ask, what should I be learning through this? I first met Sarah during the journey through Luke and Acts. As we looked for people willing to share their stories of how journey has changed them, Sarah, with more energy than I was ready for, volunteered. We talked about how new this was for her and all she was going through. We talked about how the Bible was alive and speaking to her in her pain, right where she was. This is a story about someone who, like Daniel, was forced to grow up before they should. This is a story of redemption. A story about someone who senses God's willingness to pull them back from the brink. All it takes is a willingness to take the next step. This story is about having eyes to see the self, as God does.
My name is Sarah. Where are you from? I'm from Schaumburg originally. What was growing up like? Gosh, it was idyllic. It was great. We used to run around and play cops and robbers in the neighbor's yards. It was a cool place to grow up. I walked to school. Mm. I was a crossing guard. It was really nice to grow up in this place. Yeah. Was faith like a central part of growing up in your family? Yeah, it definitely was. But we were raised Catholic, very traditional, but I don't, I never had a relationship with God. I always thought it was like the priest had the relationship with God and maybe I would receive through him, but I loved church. Do you feel like there was a faith leader? I would definitely say my dad. I would see him doing his quiet time at the kitchen table. And there was just a lot of things that he just instilled in us that now having this relationship with God, I can see is just a lot of like biblical wisdom. But him and my mom were really a team with it. And when did you first leave Schaumburg? I was ready to go 19. I was out of there. Oh, really? Wow. (laughs) I was was out of there. I went and moved in with friends. Oh, cool. Um, What was that like entering the real world without your family? Oh, my goodness. It was a punch in the face. Oh, this this is real life now. If you are comfortable, what are the things that you feel like led you down a path that wasn't the way that God would have your life go? Yeah, you know, I don't think it was just one thing. I think it was a plethora of things. It was choices, my own choices, but then it was also things that I just don't think a young person should ever be subjected to. Mm. You know, I had experienced abuse. I was 13 years old the first time someone introduced me to cocaine. Wow. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. You know, and when I am 13, I'm thinking I'm an adult because of the things that I've seen and gone through. And it just kind of set me on that path where it was like, oh, this is normal. That is not normal Mm -hmm. at all. Sexual abuse at a very young age, the aftermath of that, Mm -hmm. because then your idea around what sex is, is completely broken. So then that becomes like, this is a normal thing. So then, you know, I would continue on into my adult life, just sex is normal. So then your self-worth becomes that, which is not, and it's just tainted. You know, physical abuse definitely was something. And, you know, when you're really young and those things happen to you in your formative years, it also starts to form like this is what love is. So then you start to choose partners playing that out. And it's actually, it's beautiful how God has made us because we are always seeking to reconcile those things, even if we are not able to see them but it's really difficult in the moment because then I'm choosing an abusive partner because I'm really trying to heal from this past hurt, but that's just more abuse, you know? And then seeking, well, now this is a coping mechanism that I've learned, so I'm just going to seek out a drug or pride or I'm going to buy something or I'm going to eat something or I'm going to space out on whatever as a means to cope. It compounds. You're just drowning, I think most of us experience something in our lives that makes us feel like we're not in control. There's something that has brought us to that point too, and we can't get out of it ourselves. Mm. It does feel like we're drowning and like there's no real way to get out of it. Yeah. How does the abuse that you experienced affect how you view yourself? Gosh, it's, it really changed and altered my value system was, you know, then it was like, well, I'm worth what my body is. And that's not worth anything now. And every relationship is always that. It was like my value 
was in how I could perform sexually or in what I looked like or in what I could do for someone else. It was never in like who I was. And I wasn't able to realize that either. All these things that were like, oh, this is normal. Oh, it's normal to be sexually active at this age. Oh, it's normal to do these things. Like, no, it's not normal at all. So it was just a really morphed and twisted view of what love should be and of who I am, which has changed so much with God. I remember one of the first things I did was write on my mirror in lipstick, I am a child of God. Because mm. every time I would look in the mirror would be a place of self-deprecation or hatred or judgment, or even then trying to find the value in my appearance. And it was like, no, God is going to stand you here and you're going to find your identity in him. You're going to find your worth in him. You know, there's always a moment of realization. Yeah. And there's a moment where you're like, this can't continue, right? No. What was that moment for you? Yeah, you know, I think that there were multiple moments. And I think that that was what was really interesting in my journey, too, was that I tried. You know, that wasn't, this wasn't the first time that I was like, oh, I want to be sober. It would be like, I would try and I would fail. And I can look back on those times now and see that that was learning. Like God was teaching me and equipping me throughout all this time. But I think that there were multiple seasons of I can't do this anymore. But then I would change location or <laughs> change my hair or change my job or change my boyfriend. You know, it would always be this external. It's got to be that thing over there. And if I get rid of that thing or change that thing, it'll be fine. When really it was like, I got to change in here. And the only thing that's going to change that truly is Christ. And then the first time that God introduced himself to me actually was him kind of putting this thought into my head. I want you to be radically honest, which was radical. You know, it's something that unfortunately it's so normal to lie mm -hmm. and lie on top of a lie and on top of a lie. So, and that was at the beginning of 2017, which was a really hard time in my life. I actually refer to that season as the dark ages mm. because it was just dark and I can look back now, I know it was God. But at the time I was like, I have this great idea to be radically honest. When you say dark, like what were the yeah. things making it dark? Definitely using was making it dark, but it was really, I was having my comeuppance. It was this space that I was able to actually start facing those demons and facing the things that I was projecting onto other people and saying, this is their fault. God was like introducing me to who I really was and the sin in my life, which was heavy. And I found myself becoming the monster. Like I was my abuser. That was the hardest realization. And it was like this reality check of, oh my gosh, I'm the monster now, you know, and that was terrifying. But then it was also just like facing everything, you know, really looking at it like this is the reality of not just what happened to you, but here's the reality of your life and what you've done. And that really was too the first time that I started dealing with my sexual abuse too. Mm -hmm. Like I had just buried that and been silent about that for 20 years. I'd never talked about it.
so you were at that point kind yeah. of in 2017, the dark ages. So how did you see God show up? Yeah, I mean, it was amazing. The radical honesty was so amazing because he led me down this path of forgiveness to talk to everyone, to talk to my abuser and forgive my abuser, to talk to a girl that I made a mean comment to in seventh grade. And like, he just brought up everyone to me. It was like, you don't have to carry this anymore. Mm -hmm. So every conversation that you wanted to have, have it. And also just this difference in how I viewed things because- there's so much assumption that goes into it. It's like, oh, well, this person is totally feels this way or thinks this way about me. And I remember God bringing that to me, like, says who? Go yeah. talk to them. He also like brought me back to my core self. It was amazing. I mean, I chopped up all my hair. I didn't wear makeup. I was like living in the same dress for a while. And it was awesome mm -hmm. because all of those things that I had placed so much value in, God was like, let it go. This is who you are and you're beautiful just as you are. It was really, really interesting to, to meet him and not even realize that I was meeting him. Like I can look back now and see that. But then it was this inertia to go to church, which I was like, what? I can't even credit it to myself. I really feel like it was the Holy Spirit yeah. <laughs> being like, go to church. And it was really interesting. You know, you asked earlier about like, who was the spiritual leader? Honestly, I can look back now and see where I stopped going to church was shortly after my abuse. And that was when I was 13. And I can connect that now. You know, yeah. then I didn't. But my dad over that whole time would be like, hey, do you want to come to church? Always inviting, never shaming, but just always inviting. So it was really cool that once I was ready, you know, and here I am, what, like 31 now? <laughs> and I'm like, hey, dad, I want to go to church. Like I knew who to call. So that is such a... It's a good lesson a for all the parents, for right? For all the parents. Like the prodigal child will return. Yeah. And it's really Just true. Just be inviting and not judgmental. Yes. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. What changed when you started coming back to church? Everything. It was absolutely incredible. It was literally everything. And and one of those other dark times was when my mom passed away. That was just, that was awful. And it was crazy. And it led me down even darker path of coping with drugs and alcohol and partying, whatever. And I didn't have anything from her. And I had one piece of paper that said to read the gospel of Luke. Mm -hmm. And I had tried to do it. And it was just like, Shakespeare, like nothing. I can't read it. That's the first time I came back here. We were doing the journey through the gospel of Luke and it was like amazing, which I was like, what? And then it just continued because I, I was still a little, you know, one foot in, one foot out seeking, I guess, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And I kept putting prayers in, in the prayer box that we have here. Mm -hmm. And my stepmom was having surgery on her foot and she'd asked me to pray for her. And so I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to put a prayer in the prayer box. You know, I don't need to talk to anybody. Like mm -hmm. I'll just put my little prayer in. Yep. And the prayer box wasn't there. Oh. And I was like, what? Where's gotcha. the prayer box? So I walk up to the table. I'm just here to give my prayer. And I walk up and lo and behold, it's Grace. And she says, oh, are you here to sign up for a small group? <laughs> oh, like, no. Yes. She's just radically <laughs> inclusive. And I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, here's this prayer I have too. And 
oh, wow, did that just change everything for me? Because then now I'm in this small group and it completely changed my life. I step in and I don't know, you know, there were a lot of assumptions that I had before just about Christians in general, like Mm -hmm. these people are judgmental. And more than that, like you're perfect. Mm -hmm. And I am so deeply broken that I absolutely have to pretend to be perfect in order to do this. And of course, my own shame shows up in perfectionism in my life all the time. So, but it was so not like that. It was so authentic. It was so incredible. My small group, we are still meeting. There are girls in my small group who are standing up in my wedding. Mm. Like it's incredible. And it changed my life because it was this authentic place. So it was like, here we are, end of 2017. We start Junior through Luke, that's September. By November, I'm getting baptized and I have this group I'm meeting with all the time. And then I get connected with Willow's Wounded Hearts group and start working with them to actually have this space to be able to talk openly with other women who know what it's like to go through abuse and how it plays out in your life and how the enemy wants to use it to destroy you and how God wants to use it to heal everything and teach you everything. And yeah, I mean, absolutely incredible. And it just continued. It became this stationary thing in my life. I think the unique thing about you and your story is that you have every reason to view yourself how your abusers view you, Yeah, right? That's the constant struggle that all of us do is we're the product of how people have seen us in the past, right? Yes. Daniel is about having eyes to see us as God does yes, and having eyes to see the world and our fellow humans and our friends and the people we don't know yes, the way that God sees them. Yes. And I'm wondering how have you changed your perspective? Yeah. Gosh, it's so different. My small group, actually, one of the girls had brought up because we have some new women and she said, Hey, do you guys maybe want to go through journey of Luke again? And I thought, oh, this is so cool, you Mm. know? And this was before any of this too, so it's just really neat. And I couldn't believe how mean I was to myself because I had all these answers, you know, I'd written in the book and it would be like, no, that's stupid. No, you're stupid. And I think what was really cool was, and my mantra for this whole season during COVID has been victory in the noticing because sometimes just being able to notice a behavior is a victory, right? We always want to change it and get to the finish line, but it's like, oh no, you just noticed that you felt that way. Like that's a victory. Mm. So I noticed that I was like, oh gosh, I was still in so much pain. I was still viewing myself in this really mean way. I was so hard on myself all the time. And a lot of that came from this feeling of having to do it on my own and having to push myself. You know, it was really cool. We did the premarital counseling through Willow too. And there's a section in there it's on resiliency. And my resiliency was 97%. Mm. And so it was so cool to see, you know, Romans 8.28 play out in real life, to see these things happen and they're awful. And I wish that they didn't happen and I would take them back. But I can see now actually and almost feel maybe I wouldn't take it back because it has made me into who I am today. It has allowed me to meet other people where they are. It has given me 97% resiliency. Mm. And I can look at that as a beautiful thing. It's completely different 
how I see myself now. You are a daughter of the most high king. Like you are worthy. You are loved. Things I wouldn't have said before. One of the biggest words that comes is hiding. Just hiding. Drowning, definitely. Searching. Searching everywhere, searching in every religion, searching, you know, I'm going to be a Buddhist and now I'm going to go do this and I'm going to go to this temple and I'm going to seek this out or I'm going to go to this music festival and now I'm going to be this and just a chameleon too, you know, like liquid, which was great. It's great for everyone around you to be liquid because you can just sort of morph into who they are and it feels great and you can mirror them and it's wonderful, but it was just, just lost no foundation, really like the Bible says, sort of tossed in the waves. One of my closest friends, she's like, you know what? I just thought this was like another thing that you were trying on Mm. and it wasn't going to stick. And gosh, was that so hard to hear? Like my whole life has been fake, flighty, just, yeah, and anxious, I think. So that was before Christ. (laughs) Yeah. After Christ is... Light, compassion, grace, a chance, um, truly peace, peace. You know, Philippians 4, 7 is real. It is mm-hmm. real. It is a peace that surpasses all understanding. And now being rooted in sobriety, being rooted in Christ, like this is normal now. How does God speak to you? Oh, gosh, in so many ways, in the coolest ways. I had a really, really, really cool thing happen at the South Barrington campus. And this was when I was still struggling with the idea of quitting smoking because I used to make all these promises. And so I'd get really convicted about smoking cigarettes before church, of course, Mm -hmm. and after service. And I would say, okay, God, I'm going to have this one cigarette and then I'm going to quit. And I wouldn't, you know, because I wasn't ready yet. And I was like getting into this headspace of God doesn't love me. And why would he? Because I just keep lying to him or I'm not, you know, he's given me this gift of new life and here I am still smoking cigarettes and and whatever, all these lies, right? And I was really feeling down and we were walking. For some reason, we ended up going out a different way that we hadn't gone before. And it was after service. And I'm walking through the cafeteria and I see this piece of paper on one of the tables and I walk over to it. And it's a piece of paper and it says, Dear Sarah, I love you. Love Jesus. It was so neat because obviously it was something Promised Land was doing that day. Mm -hmm. There was some little girl named Sarah. Like what needed to happen in every little step for this girl to happen to fill that out and be there and happen to leave it and go there and me to happen to go out of a different entrance and see this across the way and find it on a day that I was wondering if God loved me. Mm. (laughs) I mean... Oh my God. Yeah. Thankfully, I've been keeping journals since I was a little kid. It was actually a way that I was able to meet myself too in my abuse and see because I would write a lot of really dark poetry and hide my abuse and things that there that I was able to see. But even being able to look back on that and see, oh gosh, like this was real. Like this is really what my life was like. So now there is like, there's a lightness. There is, I, I'm dependable now because that's what I always wanted. I just wanted to be somebody people could depend on. I just want to be able to depend even on myself. But now I can depend on God. <laughs> and so the rest falls into place, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. I was broken, I was lost, and I was sad. I was just so sad. And it felt like I had no one but myself. I could never depend on anyone but myself. So I was going to do it myself no matter what, if it killed me. But then God, who showed me, I already died for you. Like, you don't have to die. I already did that. And you are my child. <laughs> you you matter. You matter. And your life matters. There's forgiveness for you and for everyone around you and for everything that happened. And it's going to be okay. You know? I think there's that because you just don't think it's going to be okay. But it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really good. <laughs> Got me there. The, I know, really. We need some Kleenex in God. here. <laughs> Sarah, what are you doing? I know, I know. I've had a long day. <laughs> that is heavy. Yeah. And that's good. Yeah, that piece of like, mm-hmm. I thought I was going to have to die. Yeah. But God said that he already did. And I did. I really did. I saw that play out in so many different ways in my life. And then there was a time that I had actually tried. I really thought that was probably the culmination of of everything was that, okay, now I'm really facing everything that I've done. I deserve to die. And God was like, no, you don't. I already did that for you. That was when I truly met God because it felt like this pardoning and this introduction into a brand new life. Yeah. But he really does bring you to that place because you have to go there. You have to realize the sin within. You have to realize who you really are. He wants you to because he wants to free you from it. Mm. You can't be free from something you're hiding from or you're not acknowledging. And of course we don't want to acknowledge that. Who want, Why would I want to acknowledge any of these things? Especially when you have a place to, to say, well, but this person did this to me. And it's like, yeah, well, what are all the things you did to everybody else? Because you were pissed off about it or because you were broken or, you know, that hurt people hurt people is so true. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's what God does, that he gives you this vision. I think, well, first I think we, of course, we want a why, right? Like, I want to know why this is happening. I want to know why this terrible thing happened. But like, you got to find the thing beneath the thing, you know? And it's that, it's, it's almost always hurt. And... Jesus has eyes for that, and he gives you eyes for that, to see below the anger or below the mean comment or below however that person treated you in the women's group meeting at work that derailed you and led <laughs> you to the worship night. Mm-hmm. Um, but you see that, and then he shows you the hurt within you, and then it's just, 
it's so much easier to sit and say, gosh, can I just sit next to you in your suffering? Can we just sit here together in it? Like not try to fix one another, but just sit next to each other. And I really think that that's what God did for me. And that's what he does for everyone is he just, he sits with you and holds your hand in places that you think he doesn't exist, but that's where he's actually there the most, I think. Mm. Yeah. That's really reassuring. <laughs> right? If you were talking to yourself in like 2015, 2016, yeah. or the people who are there now, what would you say to them? God is real. <laughs> God is so real. And more than that, he loves you. Like he loves you, every part of you. He knows every part of you and he loves you. Like, I think that that was the biggest thing that I thought was like, how could God love me? How could God love somebody who's done the things that I've done or acted the way that I've acted or even acted the way I've acted against him? Yeah. And I think that is so cool that God like immediately introduced me to Paul, right? In Acts. <laughs> he was like, yeah, well, here's somebody who you might see some of yourself in, who I also love. So I think it would be that. I think that first foundation of like, I just want to shake everybody I meet. Like God is so real. Like he's real guys in ways that are like insanely amazing. And I think more than anything would be, oh my goodness, you are not alone. You know, one of the most profound moments I had in my small group was when I had relapsed with weed, and this was May 1st of 2018. And so, of course, anytime you have this, I think with any addiction comes shame. It doesn't matter what it is, right? Like it can be drugs, it can be pornography, it could be food, it could be TV, like whatever, there's shame. And I think the enemy wants to lock you in this little shame prison and, of course, isolate you, right? I remember the Holy Spirit bringing to me James and saying like, you know, confess to one another so they can pray for you. And I remember sitting in my friend Natalie's house and confessing and just crying. And these women just held me like there was no judgment and they prayed over me. And I'll tell you what, I've never been back. <laughs> and it was amazing. Even that failure was a reminder that this isn't actually for you. You know, so God even changes those failures too, right? You think you're failing. He is teaching you. He is guiding you. He is making you resilient so that when he's ready to bring you into that next thing, you're prepared. So I think it would be that. And the last, oh gosh, talk to someone, talk to someone. I don't care who it is, like talk to someone. It is not weird. Therapy is the coolest thing ever. Mm -hmm. Like <laughs> it is amazing. Everybody should go to therapy. It is so cool. It is so beautiful. And especially with a Christian counselor to just learn and speak about God and how he's working in your life and just, just be able to feel exactly how you're feeling when you're feeling it and not have to feel bad about it, you know, or hiding or, yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. It's really great. <laughs> I think those things would work. They do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm living proof. That's awesome. <laughs> thank you to God because like all things are truly possible with God. But like, thank you to this community. Thank you to Willow. Thank you for every single moving part, every single person. Like 
it really makes a difference. I can't wait until we can all be in person again because it does. Like from the person who says hello to you at the door, to the person making coffee, to the pastor, to the like amazing musicians and singers, to people who do what you do behind the scenes, who like create these incredible visuals and like, it's amazing, right? But these opportunities, like my life is completely transformed because of community and God wants you in community. I mean, I think I've dipped my pen almost every ministry, right? And it's like, it's, but probably not. God's like, wait, I have more for you. But it has truly transformed every part of our lives and is still transforming us. But it has been in this home with these people, with these resources, with these journeys. They are actually journeys. So thank you for sharing. Thank you. This is like very vulnerable yeah. in a lot of ways. I don't have to be ashamed of my story. My story is beautiful because God saved my life mm-hmm. and he made me who I am yeah. and I'm his. It's really special. Everybody's story has a place in somebody else's life. It does. But we can't do that until... Until we share. Until we share. Thank you for doing that. I know it's a vulnerable thing. So thank you. Thank that's, you. Wow, that's really great. <laughs> It takes courage to face the reality of an upward climb. It's hard to climb out of a pit of despair, and we need each other to help do that, just as we need God's playbook for what the next step should entail. Sarah's radical honesty, willingness to heal and open wounds and heal again should inspire all of us. It shows us that regardless of what you believe, God showed up for Sarah and changed the trajectory of her life. God gave her the ability to have eyes to see the person that we are often the most critical of. She now has eyes to see herself the way God does. And that changes everything. This is an apocalypse. This is a reckoning with ourselves and the world around us. Together, Let's embrace the apocalypse as we begin seeing people how God sees them, with eyes to see and ears to hear. This episode was recorded as a part of the Journey Through Daniel study at Willow Creek North Shore, a location of Willow Creek Community Church. It was produced by me, Tyler Hoff, with contributing producers Caleb Wilcox and Grace Zerker, and edited by Abby Circatella. Special thanks to our audio engineer, Matthew Skripsinski. And if you haven't, jump in with us for the journey through Daniel. We'll see you then. <laughs>